open-air preacher. Oh, yes, okay. So, pardon me, Henry DeRoos with uh, OAC Ministries. And you're probably wondering what, uh, what this is for. This is to show that we're in a battle. And uh, we know from the New Testament that there's the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Here's a tricky one, the feet. The, shod with the preparation of the gospel. All right. So, and of course, the sword of the spirit. This guy's sword, well, it's kind of fallen down here, but... I found this at the East Wallanosh dump on the, uh, a few years ago at the metal recycling. It's like, that's going to be my prop. So the things you find at the dump, and it's a bit rusty. And, I, and my kids said, well, Dad, why don't you just like paint it? It's like, no, I want people to know that like we are not, you and I are not perfect soldiers of the cross. We, we have feet of clay. We, we've got, well, rusty, something like we're not perfect, but God can use us anyway. And that is one of the things that I want to encourage all of us to remember, that God can use you. We're all imperfect. None of like, we're, but God can use us uh, if we if we are surrender to Him. He can use us. And and uh, one of our uh, our Ukrainian guy, our open air preacher, who's also a chaplain with the uh, Ukrainian army, like he he had to bring his wife and thirteen year old daughter to the Polish border to be in the refugee camp, and they and they have since made it safely to Seattle to to be with a, a relative. But uh, it's a tough situation there. Like, we don't pray for persecution, but persecution has a way of refining the church. Like I said, I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm not looking for pain and persecution, but it has a way. God has used it over the centuries uh, to purify his body. And so I want us to, to understand that we are in a battle, not like Ukraine, but we're in a battle for truth. And the, 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 the title of the sermon today was... Um, uh, basically, how to reach a pagan generation, a pagan culture with the gospel. You tell people the truth. Is truth under attack in Canada, in the States, in, in Europe, in the world? Absolutely. So it's a different kind of a warfare. And that's why, that's why I, I have, uh, I brought Earl with me here as well. Um, I also used to be a high school chemistry biology teacher, and they say a teacher never dies, they just lose their class. And so I, I have, as a t former teacher, I've got some homework for you, and I've got my four of my six boys. Uh, uh, the other two are married, and they live abroad. Um, and, uh, and by the way, my wife uh, sends her regrets. regrets. Uh, we had our three grandchildren uh, visit us because uh, their, their parents are on an anniversary getaway. And so my wife is taking care of the three young children at home. So if I can have my four sons distribute some homework for you, yes, even on a Sunday, and doesn't matter your age, you're getting homework, okay, just that. So basically, uh, my wife came to know Christ through a gospel tract. Now I know a lot of people throw out tracts and whatnot, but you've got a package, so it's one per family, uh, and uh, well, one, and then there's extra ones at the back if you want to take some for neighbors. You've got a job to do. In the next calendar year, in the next 12 months, might you be able to find someone who might need good news? Absolutely. So my, one of my kids says, Dad, don't, don't, don't ask us to hand this out. Like It's like twisting their arm. It's like, yes, I want to twist their arm. Sorry, that's a teacher thing. But uh, you, you know what? I want to encourage you. Uh, sharing Christ will give you so much joy. And one of my goals is to equip you. In fact, I'm an evangelist, 
And one of the jobs of an evangelist is not just to, to watch the evangelist go, let him watch him do what he's doing. It's for, as Ephesians uh, chapter, um, chapter 4 says, it's for the equipping of the saints. So my job as an evangelist, a missionary evangelist, is to encourage you. Go, church, go. Is to, is to encourage you in your faith walk. Let me just get rid of some of my gadgetry here. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 11 says, and he, thus Jesus Christ, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Number 12, verse 12, for the, perp for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So to equip you and to edify you, to encourage you that you can do it, that you can be salt and light for our worthy Savior. Do you believe our Savior is worthy today? Yeah. We, we, you know, praise the Lord. We, we, we worshiped him this morning. And that last song, they, there were so many of the songs we sang that dovetailed, dovetailed perfectly with our message. And uh, so, and, and, you know, the, the, the last one, like, there is no rival. There isn't any rival to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, we'll go to there shortly, talked about that. So the purpose of evangelism, of an evangelist, is to, to encourage you. And I was encouraged years ago when I was a high school uh, teacher, um, when I was a high school, when I was a high school uh, science teacher, to um, let me just put my Bible here. There we go. When I was a high school chemistry biology teacher, there was a guy in our church at the Metropolitan Bible Church in Ottawa, uh, downtown, and he was the assistant pastor, but also an, an evangelist with our mission, Open Air Campaigners, OAC Ministries. And uh, he encouraged us to come out and watch do street evangelism. Well, I was a teacher. I was used to speaking in public, but I did the freeze frame, froze at the thought of like sharing Christ. Now, I had been a Christian for some time, but 90% of Christians never share their faith. It might even be higher than that. And I think a lot of people do it because they're afraid. It's not like you don't want to. We don't want to. It's just you're, 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 there, there's a fear thing. I think there's a verse or two in the Bible, Pastor Ernest, about uh, isn't there something like, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So that's an, and that's not the only verse. But and so I, my wife and I, and our our youngest son at that time, uh, 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 Ryan, who is now, um, if you take a look at, uh, can I, if you take a look at here, that's our family. Um, Stay by the mic. Here we go. Okay. Oh, okay. There we go. Uh, so, and uh, there's my son, Ryan. So, he's 30 now. And uh, his wife, Abigail, they're a, a pilot. Well, he flies helicopter now. He's with Ethnos, uh, formerly called New Tribes Mission, in the Philippines. And uh, they have two of our grandkids out there. And uh, so, these are the siblings. Those aren't his children. And so he, when he was one, uh, we would uh, go out to do open-air outreaches in Ottawa, where I taught high school. And uh, I remember our first time, like a, the associate pastor of that church was doing an outreach, and, and uh, I didn't want to, I wanted to be incognito, so I stood part of the crowd, and we didn't have t-shirts, hi, we're part of the soul-saving team of Ottawa, we were just wearing our ordinary clothes, and and then there's this Muslim guy standing beside me and listening to, to our guy uh, talking, doing a little 10-minute sermonette. 
You know how Jesus used parables? We do too. So uh, that's what these things are, little parables, and then, and then a spiritual analogy falls out of it. Uh, when we do our open-air preaching, we don't stand on a soapbox. We, we, uh, uh, I mean, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So I understand that, but we, with our mission, we use, this is our method. We did soapbox preaching for the first 20 years, like from 1892 to the early 1900s, and we found that people kind of stood away. And so a guy in, our, in, in the early 1920s, one of our missionaries decided, well, let's, let's make something visual, and we've used that ever since. We've tried electronic smart boards. It just doesn't seem to attract attention, but paint and easel, it seems to work for us because we want people to come in close so we can talk to them and, and give them a Bible. And then we have a Bible book table and we offer free Bibles. We want to look them eyeball to eyeball and say, hey, sir, ma'am, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And so that's why we use this method. So anyway, I was on my first outreach, my wife and I and our one-year-old son, Ryan, was, we were standing out and listening to the, the message, and the Muslim guy, after the, uh, our minister talks, our, uh, our preacher talks about uh, Jesus and the resurrection, he says, like, do you, do you believe what this guy is saying? He didn't know I was part of the team. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe, yeah. And, uh, and he said, well, why? He looked at me, and, and I'm like, you know. So basically, I, I was so ashamed of myself that I had been a believer for years, and I didn't have an answer. But you know what it did to me? It caused me to be a student of the word. It caused me to realize that week, guess what Henry was doing? I was digging in, reading my Bible with more fervor. And that's my encouragement to you. Well, first of all, you're welcome to shout at me anytime. Now, I haven't done these open-air outreaches for a few years because of COVID and, and whatnot, but I'll be getting back to it. And there's nothing like getting your feet wet. It's, it's, it's to, to, to um, and you know, we've had some of our volunteers that they don't want to preach, but they like being part of the crowd and talking with people or handing out tracts or Bibles and so on. We had this one, we have the, had, have, had and still have this one guy. He's got to be like 91 or 92 now. He's helped us for, before I even started, I've been with this ministry for 27 years. And he, uh, he, he just likes handing out tracts and he supplies our Bible book table. He's one of the Gideons as well with that ministry and, and just likes handing out Bibles. He just doesn't want to do the preaching, but he likes being part of it. So God bless him. We all have a role. Not ever, all of us can, can preach and whatnot. But um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's my son. And then we have um, then my, my daughter and, and son-in-law. They're the ones on vacation right now. We're taking care of their, uh, their children. And then my son, Nathan, he's, he got married a couple of years ago. And they, they live in Wisconsin. They're actively involved in their church there. And so we only have five left at home. We're almost empty nesters. So, uh, you know, that's us there. And we live just outside of Lucknow, a place called St. Helens. How many, how many ever heard of St. Helens? How many of you don't care? Okay, there we go. Um, so anyways, the, our typical open-air message, uh, it's nothing complicated. It's just that, you know, the, the problem of, of uh, uh, you know, sin, that sin has separated us from God. And the wage of sin is death, and ultimately the second death, hell. And then we have the good news that God so loved the world. He, God, the creator, entered the world to be the savior of the world. And, and, you know, basically there's a heaven to gain and a hell to lose. And it's up to you. What will you do with Christ? So it's a simple. We, do just, we, we, we don't like to have a loudspeaker, we, but sometimes we'll have a loudspeaker just to get above the noise of the, of the, of the intersection where we're at. I go to Woodbine Beach in Toronto, or have, again, not for the last few years because of COVID and whatnot, but, uh, and, and we get tons of people 
we'll stop and listen. Sometimes our, our max crowd is 120, but we've never in 27 years, well, I've done it, we were, I was volunteering with, so maybe it's like 32 years I've been part of this ministry. We've never preached to no one. There's always some people stop and listen. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And, uh, um, and we have lots of volunteers. Uh, we've got, uh, we got, uh, Tarek here, who's a, he was a Muslim and became a, a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's helped out for over a decade. Uh, Anna, she was formerly Buddhist from Hong Kong. Um, she's like 68. She, she looks only 40, but uh, she hides her age well. And then we have Rick and Deanna from the Caribbean. And there's my son, Daniel. This is a picture. He's now six foot four, but there he is when he's four foot nothing. And um, anyway, so... Um, and then we have volunteers, so like, you're welcome to come, anyone who wants to join in. And, and, and they, people share, that we, we like giving people the opportunity to give a two-minute little testimony. And families, you know, they will sometimes want to sing. The importance of music in the open air. I'm not a musician at all. I wish I was. But we have people with guitars. My, a couple of my sons play guitar and banjo. And, and then that draws a crowd, and then I preach till they all go away. So it's, it's a win-win. And then here we have our uh, ex-Muslim guy, Tarek, and he's, this is Toronto Island. And we like, not the busy intersections, just a slow-moving, contemplative crowd. I've done this in Concarden and Goderich before. Have any of you seen me do this in the town square in Goderich or Concarden uh, over the years? No? Uh, one person, my son. Okay, that's good. Uh, so anyways, and so you get, like, a lot of people from my own skin color background, they just keep walking by. Uh, dismayed by that, but I mean, you know, I don't save anyone. God, by his spirit, he, he, he does the work, and so we, we just have to be faithful. Amen? We just have to be faithful and, and preach the truth. And then, and then we have our Bible book table. Uh, here we are in, on Canada Day in Ottawa. Uh, and then we have our, our Bible uh, and track thing, and Pete, they'll come in and take it. It's unbelievable. And if you can give someone a Bible, and if they can read it, God, by his spirit, does the rest. That's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, and then my wife, she does a lot of, leads a lot of children's ministries. Um, she's part of that if gathering, taking people. And Jenny Allen, I heard that before. She's led some Jenny Allen stuff. So um, it's a good ministry. There's my son Daniel leading VBS. We've done, we've started several VBSs at several churches. This is Calvary Baptist. We, we restarted, actually. They had one for years and then nothing for eight years. And when we got there 15 years ago, then we, we restarted it, and it's been going on for seven, eight years. And yes, I dress up like Moses once in a while if I'm doing, I'm helping a new church plant or helped, uh, still help a, a new church plant in Mississauga, a very high Muslim area. And the Muslims will revere the prophets, Abraham, Moses, and, and uh, Noah. And so I figured I'll dress up like Noah, see what happens. We had a Muslim lady ask Jesus to be her savior and, uh, and to talk about how even Moses and Noah, these, they, they were sinners in need of a savior. And they predicted the, the, uh, the savior coming. And then of course I did a uh, key Bible club for a few years. It's a different mission organization, but we, all of us different Christian missionaries, we, we help each other and scratch each other's backs. And, and there we have the house and kids right there. And uh, I did that for, for four or five years. My son Daniel and Nathan helped me uh, doing the music. And, and then that got kiboshed of course for, for uh, due to COVID. And then I bring my Bible. By the way, I brought my Bible. Did you? Look at this. This is, this Bible was about to be thrown out. My wife and I bought something off Kijiji from a guy in Blythe. 
And he tried to give it away to his Anglican priest, didn't uh, require it. He wanted to give it away to so many people, no, I didn't want it. And he was moving into an old age home. And, and then, you know, what guys normally do is guys ask guys what they do for a living. He said, well, I'm with this Christian mission. We hand out a ton of Bibles to new immigrants. Canada gets 350,000 new immigrants every year. That means every, every three years, there's a million new Canadians. And many of them are for, from countries where it's forbidden to own a Bible. And so the vast majority of people over the last 27 years are, that come and stop and listen are thrilled to hear about Jesus because they're not allowed to in their own countries. And uh, anyway, so I got this. And so when I told this guy I had out Bibles, he said, back in a minute. And I thought I offended the guy and I never saw him for five minutes. It's like, well, okay, whatever. And, and he comes out with this and was thrilled to give it to me. I've had people offer me $400 for this Bible. But I have more fun than $400 would ever give. And, uh, and I bring this out for my outreaches and, and wherever I go. And people are thrilled to read Bible passages from this thing. And it was in better shape, but I kind of wrecked it a bit just from it's brittle. But anyway, um, can you imagine coming to church with a big thing like this? Eh? Um, by the way, I did some research. It cost the guy in 1879 from Blythe, the, the, the grandfather of the guy who gave it to me, the equivalent of $10,000 in Canadian in, in dollars today to, 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 to buy this. So they would have had Bible payment plans. And, and they would have, at, you, know, after, you know, a few times after supper, a week, you'd read from it and gather the children around it. That's how much they valued God's word. Do we value that? Or do we spend all of our time every night with our family watching Netflix? Hey, I've got Netflix too. I'm not against that. But what I'm saying is that do we set a time by set aside time to value God's word and read it as a family? So I hope to get back to the key Bible club uh, when COVID is over and whatnot. But here's my son Nathan. I encourage scripture memory. One girl at, at the Huron Centennial School was really good at memorizing, and I'd give them some some like pencils, and, and she said, "Like that's so lame." Why can't you give us like, you know, 10 bucks for measuring, uh, for, for memorizing something bigger? It's like, okay, well, see, I'm a Dutchman, so I'm kind of cheap to begin with. But so like, okay, giving up cash, I don't know. But anyway, so anyway, so I said as a joke, I tell you, so she would, I'd give like 10 bucks, 20 bucks for like memorizing some Psalms. And, and then she said like, that's lame. I want something bigger. So as a joke, I said, how about, I'll give you 50 bucks if you memorize Psalm 119. Not 117, the two-verse thing. Psalm 119, 176 verses. She did. So she got the 50 bucks, the best 50. Like Psalm 119. Wow, I'll give 50 bucks to anyone who memorizes Psalm 119 here today. That's a record for a Dutchman, I'll tell you. And, uh, and then I do a lot of... of, of uh, I did a lot of creation evolution talks in, in public high schools and for the first 10 years of my ministry, but then people would just Google my name and find out that I'm a missionary, so that got kiboshed. But you know what? There's different seasons for different ministries. The Lord, you know, closed the door to Paul. Oh, that door to Macedonia was closed, and then another door was open. So the Lord opens and closes doors, and we have to be okay uh, with that. Let me read from uh, Acts 17, a few verses here. Acts 17, you read... Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts 17. And, and you read, I had you read up till, uh, Pastor Ernest read all the way up to uh, 23. 
So Paul is introducing them to the unknown God and the one who you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And then it goes on. I didn't want you to read the whole thing because it might have been too, too big. But, but second of all, uh, I wanted to highlight a few things. We, don't, we don't, aren't going to, for the sake of time, read the whole thing. But Paul then goes on to talk about how, who this, this person is. And basically, Paul goes on to say that the one who you ignorantly worship is none other than the, than the what? The creator, the one who made the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything. He, he made it all. And so, you know, God who made the world, verse 24, and everything in it. Now, back then, they didn't have one, like they had a pantheon of gods that they worshipped. And so, you know, they, they figured, well, let's tack on this unknown God. But Paul says, hey, it's the creator, the one who made you. And then he even refers to their own literature. Uh, the one who, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So, so th this is stretching their, their worldview. So basically, what's Paul doing? He's, he's, he's putting on the belt of truth. And he's, he's, he's just speaking the truth. So the recipe for, for how to reach people in this pagan culture, just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. That, that the creator is, is not like, you're not going to find him in, in a building, in a temple. And he's the one that made everything, and he gives uh, life to, and breath to all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men. So basically, there, is no, like, there, is, there are no different races. It's all one race. It's the human race. And, 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 and people live everywhere. So he's, he, this is an all-encompassing. He's stretching their whole worldview, say, hey, wait a second. Uh, there's not a god of the sun and a god of the moon and a god of the Greeks and a god of the of the of the Persians and a god like no there's one creator God and uh, so that they should seek the Lord verse 27 in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us that's the second time it's talked about in that chapter so God is not far away and they use he uses a reference from their own poetry um, therefore since we are his offspring uh, let me see here. Oh, yeah, as, as even in verse 28, uh, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So he's borrowing from their literature, drawing them in. It's like, hey, we are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. And therefore, verse 29, since we are his offspring of God, we ought not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, at these times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now call, calls, commands all men everywhere to repent. That word repent is the most misunderstood word in our Western culture. A lot of people think repent just means stop sinning, and once you stop sinning, then God will accept you. No, it doesn't mean that. The word repent, and, and I mean, I'm just summarizing here, it just means to reconsider. Uh, my dad used to be in charge of a hardware store, and we would take inventory, us kids. He'd pay us, he'd give us a hamburger at the end of the day. We thought that was awesome, but we'd just count nuts and bolts all day long. And, and basically, we were taking inventory one time per year. It's a, you know, like you're taking stock of, of what's, what's, that, what, what's all the stuff, what's, what are all the goods in that, in, in that store. So Paul is telling people, take stock of your life, take inventory of your life uh, and where you're at and reconsider what you believe. 
And uh, so repent doesn't mean stop. Now, in the context of other verses, it can mean stop doing what you're doing. But a lot of people think, oh, they can only come to Christ once they're perfect. They've cleaned themselves up. Then God will accept you. No, the Bible says in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you come to Christ where you are, and God by his Holy Spirit will do the cleaning up and convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And uh, so Paul says he, he winked at, our, at your ignorance, he's telling them, uh, and now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Woo! Now he's coming to the fact that now, so now he says, okay, there's a creator, and this creator is none other than, than God. Now he's talking about it's a person. Now he's saying it's a man. And now he's going to introduce the name, the identity. So this creator has an identity. Look at this. Paul says here, because he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. What? And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead. Now, now you're, you're getting your thinking caps on. Let's look here. There's three responses to when Paul introduces the resurrection. Paul, I consider, the Bible doesn't say this. This is just Henry's license to, to preach. Henry's interpretation. I think, I'm going out on a limb here, I think Paul is one of the greatest missionaries of Christianity. That's just my feeling. You can disagree with me and that's fine. But Paul is certainly up there and one of the finest missionaries out there. Would you agree? Raise your hand if you agree. All right, there we go. We're good. I'm in, I'm in safe territory. So he's one of the finest. And if one of the finest missionaries of Christianity gets three responses, like not everyone who hears the gospel under Paul's preaching is going to drop to their knees and repent and, 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 and be saved. No. Now I'm going to read this and you listen for these three responses to the gospel. So that was true then and it's still true today in 2022. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them. Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Whoa! I, I did this rapid fire. What are the three responses? Number one, some mocked. Some were like, whoa! That's true when we do our open air outreaches. When we do our outreaches, people are like, what, what are you talking about? I don't like that part, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, you want human nature is you want everyone to like you and, oh, you're such a wonderful fella. Thank you for. And, and people are, you want everyone to be grateful for what you say. And, but that's not reality. That's not reality. So, some mocked. That's number one. Number two, others said, we will hear from you again in this matter. They're the fence sinners. They're, they're going to, they're, 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 they're not committed. Doesn't mean that they're against you. They're, they're, they just want time to percolate and think and, and evaluate. And number three, verse 34, However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, who was a leader in the Areopagus, the pagan temple. Do you think he held on to his job as pagan leader of the pagan temple after he believed? No, he would have been out of a job right away. Right away. There's persecution for you. And a woman named Damaris. Oh, they mentioned a woman. This wasn't a society that valued women as much as, as men, right? So it's like the fact that 
this lady, it's like, wow, uh, that's good, that's good. And others. So, three responses. Number one, some mocked. Number two, fence sitters. Number three, some people believed. And that is the response from the greatest missionary of Christianity. So be encouraged if someone gives you the what for, for, for telling them the gospel, then okay. Now, if someone tell, gives you the what for, like we had one guy, one of our worst hecklers in 27 years, Alan Sharp. He was a, an executive during the day, but he was kind of a weekend uh, drunk and, and, uh, on the weekends. And he, for eight months, pestered our team. He'd stand on the opposite side of the street in the Byward Market in the tourist part of Ottawa. And he would say, don't listen to these guys. They're a blank, blank of a blank, 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 just cursing. Like, so we, at first as our team, we prayed for him, said, Lord, Lord, save Alan. But after this went on for months, we, we stopped, shame on us, we stopped praying for his salvation. We, we said, Lord, rebuke him. And Lord, I pray he'd stay away. Like we, the guy was a pain. But after eight months, he came to us and he said, you know what? I'm like you guys now. And we're like, yeah. like once he, he, he lit my thing on fire with his lighter. So like he was, he, and he was a big guy. He used to be uh, in the Marines with, uh, and landed on the Falkland Islands with, with, when Margaret Thatcher was the, the Prime Minister of England. Anyway, he, he said, you know, I'm, I'm like you guys now. It's like, really? And we figured he's going to punch us out. He was a big guy. And, and he said, yeah, no, I realized, yeah, you guy, what you're saying, like, uh, it made sense. And I did what you said. I went and I uh, called out to the Lord. I went to my apartment and, and I, I, I asked forgiveness for my sins and I asked Jesus to, my, to be my savior. Well, Alan went on to be one of our best volunteers ever. And a year after he got saved, he wanted to do a sketchboard message. And so I was there and he, and hardly a crowd gathered. And then he stopped and he said to, to us, my team of volunteers and I, he said, like, if I just do a quick, like he was a muscular guy, he said, if I do a quick, a hand, headstand, do you think that'll attract a crowd? It's like, whatever, Alan. Like, so anyway, so he did that. It's just this big guy, and then suddenly a crowd gathers, it hops on his feet and does his message. <laughs> okay, it was just, anyway, so even though he was our worst mocker in 27 years, he got saved. So just because someone mocked, that doesn't mean they will always be mockers. And the people who are fence sitters, doesn't mean they will always sit on the fence. Well, we don't know. But we have to be faithful. All of us need to be faithful in presenting the truth. I want everyone to say the word faithful. 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 A little louder. You can do better than that. Faithful. faithful. Our job is to be faithful and leave the results up to God. Leave the results up to God. And you know what? The identity, Paul was talking about the identity of this man who will judge the living and the dead. That's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the creator, the Colossians says about Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created. He is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created. So Jesus was there at the beginning as part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so when he came in the flesh 2,022 years ago thereabouts, that was his incarnation, not reincarnation. That's Buddhist false teaching. His incarnation means God became flesh. And so, and the whole reason why the man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world was to be the, was to be the what? Was to be the, 
the Savior of the world. And you know what? He needed to be the Savior of the world because the world needs saving. You and I have this little thing, which is not really a little thing, but it's a, it's a thing, a three-letter word called sin. And I have the letter I capitalized because it's an I problem. I want to do what I want to do. Anyone suffer from that problem? I do. It's an I problem. It's a sin problem. And you know what? Sin is not a willy-nilly thing. The Bible says your sins have separated you from God. Like, you know the Ten Commandments? No, these aren't the original ones. These are just a, a plywood facsimile. But like, like, one of them is like, you shall not lie, one of the Ten Commandments. How many of you ever lied here before? Half of you. The other half are lying. <laughs> All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And so we need a Savior. If the only thing you ever did was lie once in your life, that would be the thing that would prevent you from going to heaven. Because heaven is a perfect place for perfect people. So I'm out of the running right there, and so are you. So is the world. If the only thing that they... And I know a lot of holy people. Like you take a look at some of the Orthodox Jews and the Muslims and whatnot, like with their dress code and the, and, and, you know, and, and the Amish with their dress code. And like they, people, there's a lot of people in the world trying to live a holy life. But still, even if they lied when they were a kid once... That would prevent them from getting to heaven because they're trying to enter heaven on their own steam and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And so the Bible says that, that sin is like a barrier that, present, that prevents... Sin is a barrier that prevents you from reaching Jesus in heaven. It's a barrier. Sin's a barrier that prevents us. And so we need someone to break through that barrier. Is there anyone righteous who, who could bear our sin to break through the barrier that prevented you from getting to heaven? It's the, 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 the God-man who broke through the barrier to get to you. To get to you. And the Bible says that he was the sinless son of God. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us. And he literally, he showed himself to be the true son of God when he rose, uh, he, he did miracles, walked on water, raised Lazarus from the, the dead. Uh, not the Lazarus from this church, but a different one. And, and, uh, and, then, and then he went in the tomb and the tomb couldn't hold him in. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Praise the Lord, he rose from the dead. And we'll be celebrating Easter soon. I look forward to Easter because it's a tremendous celebration. And you know what? When he rose from the dead, he rose again back to, back to life, which means that he triumphed over the grave, which means he is a worthy savior, worthy of your trust. Have you trusted him is the question of the day. And when Paul says that he will judge the world in righteousness, like he meant what he said. And if you take a look at, at, at Jesus, like so many times I need to tell him that the people front row now someone, even the evolutionists, if they say, oh, there's a world millions of years old, I don't buy that argument. 
Jesus Christ is so important that we measure time by him. It's 2022 years since what? Since the birth of Christ. Thank you, gentlemen. So basically, I bring this on, on out wherever I go on the street just to, just to uh, uh, is it to be attention-seeking? Well, basically. But basically, it, it's to, draw, to, to get people to, to illustrate the point that Jesus is the main event. And, and if there ever is a reason for us to be pumped to hand out a tract to someone, and I, I gave you it in your package of the Jesus film. I came to Christ through the Jesus film. Someone asked me. I got saved. I, was in, I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. And I was a good kid, had a heart for God. And then someone asked me, Henry, if you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? It was a youth pastor of a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I said, oh, well, I'm going to heaven. He said, why? The second part of that question is why? Uh, like, like, how do you know you're getting to heaven? And what, what's, on what basis are you, do you know you're going to heaven? I said, well, my parents were hardworking Dutch immigrants. And, and like you, I know some of you laugh, like, who cares? But that's what I thought when I was 19, right? My, my parents are hardworking immigrants, and we went twice to church every Sunday. And is that a good thing to go? Is it good to be hardworking? Sure. Is it good to go to church twice? Yeah, three would be better, eh? No, I, I, that's not the point. But then the, the pastor, the youth pastor said, but where's Christ in all of this? That was the first time in my life I realized I had been putting my trust in self and not in the one who died on the cross in my place. I, I wasn't an, an agnostic or an atheist or whatever. I just, I just didn't, I never read my Bible and I owned one, but never, ever read it. And, but he sort of left me hanging, and then I went to the University of Guelph, and just, there was an organization, Campus Crusade for Christ, that produces that Jesus film that a billion people on the planet have seen. And at the end of it, uh, there was the, they showed it in, in um, uh, the chemistry building, uh, right on, because you, you went there as well. And, and it was the old reel-to-reel films back then. We're dating ourselves here. And uh, anyway, the, uh, the, at the end it said, a narrator comes on and say, ha, goes on and says, have you ever called out to the name of the Lord to be saved? Why don't you bow your head and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? I had never done that. I had never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive my sins. That's something we just didn't do before. I never heard the words, you must be born again. I just, those words were never talked about. And I did, and I went home at Thanksgiving time, and our, our minister in his uh, late 60s, uh, he had a Sherlock Holmes pipe, and he said, so Henry, how's everything at University of Guelph? And I said, oh, I'm learning lots. I said, but most importantly, I'm reading my Bible now. I thought he'd be thrilled. And then, uh, and then I said, Jesus is my personal savior now. Wow, he was so upset. We were sitting down for a uh, Thanksgiving potluck at church. He stood up, hand, one hand in his pipe, and he, he, he pointed his pointed at me and he said, Jesus is not your personal savior. He's too holy a God up here to be brought down to your level to be your f- friend and savior. I'm like, what? It was the most, I knew that Jesus was my savior. Turns out I found out 30 years later that probably half of his congregation had left their church to join evangelical churches over the years. And so when he heard me saying that Jesus is my personal savior, he, he freaked out. But you know what? We should be you know, a pastor would, Pastor Ernest and, and, and the elders here would, they would be thrilled if you found out some 18, 19-year-old kid was, uh, was reading their Bible. You'd be thrilled. You wouldn't give them the what for. You'd be thrilled for them. So, <clears throat> and so for my, so when I talk about uh, the, the, this topic and when, when uh, 
and maybe even Paul talked about this when in, in the Areopagus, uh, you know, the flood and, and the creator, and then how sin entered in, and, and uh, I collect fossils and bring fossils to different places, and, and uh, in fact, I found one on my farm in Lucknow. It's a fossil twig, and I also have a fossil toe bone here if you want to see that later. Fossils are a result of Noah's flood, and the whole message of the flood is the fact that it was a godless generation that ignored God and that God told Noah to enter the ark. And the most important message of the, of the ark was that Jesus is the door. The only way to get out of, to be rescued from that, the flood that was going to happen, was to enter the ark by only one door. There were not two doors in that ark. Jesus said, I am the door if By me, if any man can enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And find pasture. How much time do we have left, uh, Pastor? Okay, sounds good. And so, basically, the whole message of, of the plan of salvation was even there back at creation, way back there at the time of the flood. God is willing and wanting to redeem his people. And so, I encourage you, in your faith, to not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, Proverbs 29:25 talks about, again, this topic of fear. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So again, the reason why, in my 27 years of evangelism, the reason why you're not getting a lot of the majority of Muslims or Jews or Hindus or a lot of people flocking to Christ is not because there isn't enough evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, one of the writings that influenced me a lot when I was early in my Christian walk was the guy who started uh, Harvard University Law School, the principal founder, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, Jewish, and he mocked Christians for believing in Jesus. And one of his students, one of his students... One of the students of uh, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, the principal founder of Harvard Law School, uh, mocked and said, like, like you're a lawyer. You, why don't you try to disprove Jesus? So he set out to try to disprove Jesus, and he ended up becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ just by looking at the evidence and, and so on back then. And his family disowned him. So basically, what I found that over the years, the reason why people from different religions aren't flocking to Jesus, like the majority, is simply because they're afraid of what their mother, their father, their grandparents. Oh, like what what will the leader of the synagogue say? They're afraid that they might lose their job. They're afraid. And so the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Isn't that an awesome verse? And so... um, I encourage people, and Paul in Acts 17 is encouraging people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to end with this true story that happened in the United States at the time of President Andrew Jackson. Basically, in 1829, there were two robbers that robbed the U.S. stagecoach mailbag. And in the stagecoach mailbag, that held the bank payroll, so that was a big deal. And... uh, the first guy was caught, and uh, 
back then they, they would hang you if, if you stole someone's horse. You know, horse thievery was guilty, you know, like the, the, the punishment was death by hanging. And so they, the, the first guy, Mr. Porter, was, uh, was hung for the crime of robbery. The second guy, George Wilson, for whatever reason, was not hung on the same day. His court date, his hanging date was a month later. And the, uh, since the first guy was hung, uh, and history doesn't tell us why, but somehow this case got to the attention of President Andrew Jackson himself, you know, the guy on the $20 bill, U.S., I think it's a $20 bill. Uh, he felt that one guy died for the crime, so for whatever reason, he felt to offer, uh, because both these guys were under the death penalty, he, because of their, their crime, their sin of, of stealing the, the stagecoach mailbag, he offered, a, and it had never happened in U.S. history before, uh, before a president, every outgoing president since then offers presidential pardons for, for convicted criminals. It seems like the thing to do. But, it, but President Andrew Jackson was the first guy to offer it to uh, George Wilson, and something happened that also had never happened before. When that pardon was offered to him in the prison cell where he was awaiting to be hung in a month, he ripped it up. And he says, I deserve to die. Now the question is, did he deserve to die? Yes, because he was, you know, part of the, the accomplice or, the, you know, he was part of the, of the guys that stole the, the mailbag, uh, which held the bank payroll. So it's really bank robbery. And so word got back to President Jackson and Jackson uh, went to the Supreme Court of... Uh, of the um, United States and Chief Justice John Marshall, who history records was a born-again Christian. So when he found out that George Wilson was offered a, a, a pardon from the death penalty, and when he heard, found out that he re rejected it, he said, Mr. President, you have no choice but to go ahead with the public execution of George Wilson, because he rejected the president's pardon. And he said, the pardon, a pardon is actually a free gift. And you could read the transcript, just Google the story. He said, a pardon is a free gift. If it's offered and not accepted, then, then punishment must continue. And that's exactly what happened. And so on, on 1830... In the year 1830, George Wilson was executed for his crime, but also because he rejected the pardon, so they had no choice. Now, some people say, now, that George Wilson was the dumbest guy alive. I, I agree with that assessment. I think he was. He was a young man, um, and, uh, and so he had his whole life to live, and, and he rejected it. And, you know, but before you start thinking he's so dumb and we're so wonderful here in 2022... Do you realize that we are all under a death penalty? Because the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a pardon from God. Now, you might not be a bank robber or a serial killer, but like I said before, heaven is a perfect place for perfect people. We all need a pardon from God, even if we sinned once in our life. And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the sinless son of God. He really is our pardon. Think of him as your pardon. And he can bring you from death to life. Why? Because he lived a life. He lived a life that we couldn't live. And he chose willingly 
to be the payment for your and my sin. Won't you trust him today? And a lot of people I meet, a small percentage reject the pardon that is offered through Jesus Christ. A small percentage of Canadians are atheists. But the majority of people do this instead. They don't reject God's pardon for the sin. What, are they, what else do they do? If you know it, you can say it. They neglect it. They figure, I'll wait till I'm 94. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'll wait till I'm 94. And then I'll consider the claims of Jesus Christ. Are we guaranteed 94 years? Or 74? Or 54? My dad died of cancer at, at, at 59. My wife's mother died at 49 from cancer. So we are not guaranteed 100 years of health, wealth, and happiness. And so today, if you are in this situation and you've never called out to the name of the living Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, I would, I would encourage you to do that today. Not reject, not neglect, but do this. Accept the free offer of the gospel. It's that simple. I never heard a message like this growing up. Never. I met like all the guys, people I went to church with, wonderful, hardworking immigrants who, well, they had no choice but to be hardworking. They came with five cents in their pocket. They had to be hardworking. But I've never, ever heard that you can accept the free gift because none of us can earn our way to heaven. And so with that, I want to encourage you. When you're, when you're considering, can I, can I do, can I be someone like the Apostle Paul? Uh, like we're all going to be different, but you in your small corner, me in mine. That's why I gave you those tracks. You could be salt and light. And when you find out, some of us may not find out until eternity, when you find out that you influence someone for Christ. But it warms my heart when, when I hear someone say, yeah, like I, I never thought of that before, and thank you for that Bible. And like my wife and I, we've been involved in, in uh, uh, Amish ministry, and we've given out 400 of these Bibles. We had one guy that got saved. I gave him a Bible when we were building our place a few years ago. And he came two years later and said, I never, I read that Bible. I want you to know I'm Christian first and Amish second. And every, so many times, uh, these guys know, these guys know, my, my kids know, like this guy would come in our basement. We'd watch Billy Graham DVDs from his crusades from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. With tears in his eye, he loves Jesus. And uh, anyway, so then he he has grown in his faith, and then I, and then last year, because of COVID, churches were locked down, and people were phoning the police at the Amish were still meeting. And so anyways, I had this Bible project. I raised some money and got 400 of these German-English Bibles. I've had people even last week stop and say, thank you for the Bible. To, to, it warms my heart to know that we can be used by the Lord, and that can be, that can be for you too, to be a blessing. And it starts out with being saved, and if you haven't done that before you put your, your head to the pillow tonight, can I encourage you to be honest, not with me, we, be honest with the King of Kings and say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I believe in you. I believe in your son. Forgive my sin and come into my life to save me. And he will save you. And then you're starting embarking on a new journey. And then if someone's saved, it's not like the Lord beams us up to heaven. He leaves us here for a purpose to be salt and light for him. Let's close, shall we? Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to be salt and light for you. Lord, Paul, one of the greatest missionaries, one of your servants who's with you now, Lord, he was salt and light.